Hi, I'm Jennifer Zollett. And I'm Larkin Bell. Welcome to our podcast, A Female Lens. again for another segment of women in film in the news here we are and in this case it's kind of past news but we feel it's interesting to look at it presently it is. and two kind of two separate mm-hmm. news items on yeah the that we today. feel like we're kind of interesting to look at together because mm-hmm. they share similar themes mm-hmm. uh the first situation is big little lies season two if you all watched mm-hmm. season one was directed by director jean-marc fallet mm-hmm. and season two was directed by andrea arnold uh jean-marc fallet went off and did sharp, sharp objects. objects yep for hbo as well and so she was given the reins like full reins to make the whole season um and basically she did she did an awesome job the cast uh talked about how much they loved her hbo loved the dailies that they saw like everybody was on board with her work and then at the very end um she started editing and then jean-marc valet came back and was like hey actually i'm gonna edit and he took um all of the footage i guess from her to his editing team in seattle i think and uh then he did reshoots Mm -hmm. i think seven 14 days 17 17 17 days days? okay 17 days doesn't matter it's a lot of days Mm -hmm. of reshoots um so he could kind of do the episodes how he wanted it um and they just kind of made Andrea Arnold sit in the back seat. And she was not aware that this would be something that could happen at the end of this all. Um, she thought she had, you know, creative control. Cool. Yeah, the second thing we wanted to look mm-hmm. at was the Crazy Rich Asians sequel um, writer situation yes. with Adele Lim. Basically, she was a writer on the first film. And... She was supposed to work um, on the second film as well. Yeah, logically. Um, she was going to co-write it with Peter Chiarelli. And basically, news broke in September that she was going to be leaving the production because of a pay disparity issue. Um, he was uh, offered 800000 to $1 million for writing the script, whereas she was uh, it was reported that she was going to earn 110000 plus mm-hmm. on there, which is obviously... Um, a big difference. Right. <laughs> the math checks out uh-huh. there. Um, and so she said she was going to leave. Um, Peter Chiarelli did offer to split his fees. Um, but she, I mean, she said he was nothing but gracious, but mm-hmm. was like, you know, with her ideals and morals was like, I'm going to leave basically. Right. And, um, and has done so. Right. And I mean, production was the one they're the ones who yeah. did not step up to the plate right like, exactly. it's not the other writers yeah. responsibility or like anybody but it, yeah it's interesting they just didn't step up and now she's out yeah um yeah yeah i think what we found with the two situations that was really interesting was just like kind of the public discourse about mm-hmm. it and also the role of the other people in the productions right. both productions were pretty are pretty visible um, they're very visible projects yeah. with, you know, big people involved. Mm-hmm. Um, and for different reasons. Like in Big Little Lies, you've got the, you know, big supporters of women in film camp. You know, mm-hmm. with Reese Witherspoon, Laura Dern, Nicole yeah. Kidman. And in um, The Crazy Rich Asians, you've got John Chu, who's leading the whole production, mm-hmm. who's, you know, a really great, diverse creator. And we were kind of wondering, like, what is the role of the actors and, yeah. you know, other people involved in production to speak out against, you know, whatever injustice is happening? Right. Or if they can't speak out, or is it even their responsibility to speak out? Yeah. And that's an interesting dilemma, I think, mm-hmm. that we're at at this point in time. Yeah, it's just such a, a strange, complicated thing, and then it's made so public. Mm-hmm. And it's just sort of like, okay, this thing happened, and they're no longer involved. Or this woman was kind of, you know, removed, or, or she left. But it's this weird taste in everyone's mouth of like, well, wait, how does that happen? And like, why? And would that happen if it were a man? Um and yeah, I mean, going back to Big Little Lies and just what your question you're posing basically is, uh, in Big Little Lies, 
the cast was so vocal and so supportive of Andrea Arnold as they were shooting, and it was this, you know, really exciting time, and they all were like, we love having this female director, like, it's just this collaborative uh, experience, and it's, you know, they're telling stories about women on that show, so it just made sense. Um, But then it was, like, a little bit of radio silence uh, when this all broke out, and it's Mm -hmm. sort of like, yeah, whose responsibility is it and are they allowed to speak out? Maybe that's part like of contracts it. contracts or something. Right, yeah. yeah. But um, it was interesting to just kind of not see any any support, you know, for her or against Jean-Marc Vallée or just, like, HBO for, like, whose responsibility and why, why did that happen and why was it such a kind of gross situation? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as far as crazy rich Asians um I mean like we said it's not the other writer's responsibility to say I'll give half of my salary so you can stay on but like right. that's what it came down to well and I think that's an interesting part of it as well because gosh I mean that's not a fun position for him to be no. in either yeah. but then it kind of came down to him, right. him saying something yeah but then it's also that wasn't the point to make it happen either which is why she didn't accept it it wasn't you know anything to do with him but i mean it's everything to do with him and also nothing um but it's more just to do with the principle of the whole thing of of why wasn't she paid equally to begin with you know she had crazy rich, rich asians under her belt it would you would think going into number two if there's two writers you know equal pay but not the case yeah, and I guess um, after that initial offer had gone out, mm-hmm. um, John Chu did support her yeah. and her decision to um, leave, even though they all did try to rectify the situation. But at that point, she had decided to leave. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was supportive on social media of saying, hey, I recognize like what you need to do, slash mm-hmm. I will work with you again in the future. Right. Um but again, like he's not in charge of the money behind right. all of this. I know, you know? and you he's know, not writing it all her comes contract down to that money. Yeah, it's these contracts and who's writing them and who's uh, who's paying at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah. And are they supporting women in film, or just saying they are, or you or know? diverse creators? Yeah, right, diverse yeah. creators. Exactly. It seems indicative of the very real possibility that a lot of these com- like production companies, the, the people with the money. Um, some of the choices they're making about what to create and to fund and promote, um, maybe they recognize on the surface level how diversity and representation matters, but the the actual entire business practice is is not reflecting that, yeah. right? Like nobody's coming out, no, like, C-suite, or you know, types are coming out and saying anything after these stories have broken, um, and they can get away with that. But, yeah. I don't know, that, it seems like maybe that's the right. the root of the problem. And yeah. Well, and maybe what you're touching on, too, is accountability. Mm-hmm. Like, not only, you know, with the money, et cetera, but also I think that's kind of what I was circling around maybe with like the public accountability. So Mm -hmm. it's like, if this is to happen, who is accountable for speaking out against that? Mm -hmm. And you know, yeah, where does it come down to? Does it come down to us to not watch said thing? But then it's like, okay, if we weren't to watch big little lies and we're not supporting these other women that are part of the project, right? You know, if we're not watching crazy rich Asians, you know, we're not watching this incredible, um, diverse, cast and crew and story um so yeah yeah i just this these stories remind me of um maybe it was a year or two ago when jessica chastain um what did she she had to like fight to get octavia spencer paid the same as her on a film they were in together Mm -hmm. these kinds of stories keep coming up Mm -hmm. so it's great when you have the person in a place of privilege who's able to do something to support or correct the the problem, right? right? Like um, the, the co-writer offering to split the the difference, or mm-hmm. you know. But if these things keep happening, we haven't solved the the source of the problem. It yeah. seems like one of the possible reasons for these recurring similar issues is 
a corporate culture thing mm. um, that has to do with the transparency and the accountability. But I obviously, who knows what the solution is? Yeah, and not only corporate. I mean, just zooming out, like a societal issue. Mm, of course, you know, yes. at the root of it all. <laughs> yeah, I think one one thing. I don't know if we'll call it good, but one additional thing is that uh, at least we know about these things, Mm -hmm. you know, and at least, um, like, Andrea Arnold did direct a whole season of this huge HBO show after Jean-Marc Vallée had directed the first season. Like, Mm -hmm. that is something to celebrate, and it it just makes it that much worse that she got it taken away from her, Um, but... Hopefully yeah. she'll get her own cool project yeah. at HBO. Yeah. I'd be really excited to watch that. Mm-hmm. And that there are these instances of individuals stepping up to the plate and saying, I will offer this so that this person can have what I have. Mm-hmm. Like, that's something I think we're seeing over mm-hmm. and over. And we've talked about how it is, like, often just comes down to the individual person at the end of the day. To responsibility and of the individual. Yeah. yeah. And now, here's our interview with casting director Amy Renee. Amy is an Artios Award-nominated casting director, and many of her films have premiered at Sundance, South by Southwest, Tribeca, and Toronto. And this past year, at Sundance 2019, she actually had three films premiere at the festival, including Greener Grass, which is currently out in theaters. Enjoy! (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us, Amy Renee. We're really excited to talk with you. Thanks for having me. So, let's start at the beginning. Did you always know that you wanted to work in the film industry, and what was your journey like to become a casting director? Uh, the answer, the short answer is yes. I think, you know, as a, a little girl living in a small town, I always watched VHSs and thought about being in the entertainment. It was like my escapism. The reality of, of that ever happening just seemed impossible. Um, so I went to undergrad for art education and I was a painter and then I got my master's in film theory, still dancing around this world of like, I would love to be in film, but it just, you know, wasn't it wasn't an easy road to it so um after that when I arrived in Los Angeles in the early 2000s I was a makeup artist because I was like well I know how to paint and I'll paint on people's faces um so I basically just kind of made that up and that was my first entertainment job here and I did that for a really long time what I learned from it is that I'm an introvert and being on set for 16 hours a day I'm not very good at um there is a skill set that you have to just be on for all that time and I'm very much like I need to go home and plug in and recharge So uh, it became evident that that wasn't my, that wasn't the easy path to where I needed to be. Um, So a friend of mine was like, oh, the acting school that I work at is hiring. And I was like, cool. Okay. Benefits. Great. Eight hour days. Great. It's in Hollywood. Great. Um, No expectations at all other than just like, here's a job. And it was really fascinating. I didn't go to uh, school for acting or theater. So I had never been in this community before. And to see everyone be so supportive and book jobs and get better or, you know, get an agent and all of that community that was surrounding that was, I just felt so welcomed. And I was like, oh, this is really cool. Um, I ended up working there for three years. I ran all of her classes. So basically, if you came in and met with her, I would suggest a class you could be in and then I would be checking in with you and making sure you like the class so I was learning the actor's process through that um and then there just there wasn't the upward mobility that I was looking for so a friend of mine was like oh uh, do you want to try casting? And I was an intern for free. So at this point in my life, I um, started interning for free and working at a restaurant at night. <laughs> so it was a real leap of faith for me because I was basically starting from scratch again. Um, and I worked for Jeff Greenberg and his associate, Alan Hooper. And that, to this day, I say, is like the Harvard of casting lesson um, because they are so thorough. And Jeff is such a pro and been doing it for so long that I just paid attention. And literally my first day was like, here's a computer, here's a phone, and like answering the phone. I had no idea what I was doing. Like the learning curve was mage. Um, <laughs> the, I, I, you know, I always say, you know, fake it till you make it. I was faking it hard. Um, 
One of the other associates that was working in his office at that time was Justine Hempy, and she is amazing casting director also. And she literally was just like, "Come here, baby bird," and like would tell me what a master list was, was tell me, would tell me what an avail check is, was to, like sides. I didn't know, like I just I didn't know a lot of things. I knew sides because of the acting school, but um, I was very like pre-K when it came to knowing what I was doing. Um, so, I mean, there was a couple of times where I think I like would mess up something and Jeff, I could see him just like breathing deeply, trying to do his Zen. So God bless him for not like killing me. Um, but I survived and I survived through about 10 pilots with them. So if for anyone that's dealt with network pilots, it's a lot and, um, it's kind of hell. And, but the good thing is, is that it's so quick and so intense that you're learning a lot. Um, and literally every actor that would come in to audition for Jeff would be like, Amy Renee, what are you doing here? And I'm like, oh, I'm doing this now. Like, you know, and Jeff was like, one day he pulled me aside and he was like, how do you know all these actors? And I was like, oh, I know a lot of actors. Oh, okay. Maybe like, maybe I should do this. I don't know. You know, and then he was so sweet and would give me the freedom to like suggest people for co-star roles when we were working on Modern Family and like, not that they booked it, but he, he gave me that freedom to like learn, um, which was awesome. And then, um, I, after working for him for a minute, I went and worked for Jason Wood and Tammy Billick because they do more one hour dramas. So I was learning that, which is in, in that episodic world, you know, sometimes you're casting 17 roles in one week for an episode. So learning that pace and learning how to do deal memos and learning how to like just keep up with the paperwork alone as an associate is bananas on a TV show. So again, huge learning curve. You just have to like wing it and figure it out. Um, and they're both lovely humans. They also did not fire me. (laughs) Um, and then leap, of faith happened. My husband was offered a job at Microsoft in Seattle. Um, and I was like, God damn it. I finally found what I want to do. Want, want, want. Now we're going to go to Seattle. And, um, as the universe would have it, I went there and looked on IMDb. I was like, who's making films here? And that's how I found Lynn Shelton and Megan Griffiths. And, you know, Lynn did hump day with Mark Duplass and Alicia Delmore. So like I kind of became friends with Alicia and like such a small town. Right. And it was the greatest gift I ever could have gotten. I met Megan Griffiths on like a Friday and she was doing her movie, Lucky Them, that started shooting Monday. And she's like, can you be my local casting director? It was literally like that. And so I, you know, I was like, well, yeah, I can do that, you know? So I kind of fell into just being on my own and working with these indie filmmakers. And through that, I would go to film festivals for the films that would get, you know, um, screened and I would meet more filmmakers there. And being a casting director, there's not a lot that go to, to film festivals. So, you know, you're, you're meeting a lot of directors, you know, sometimes first time directors or they've done a short or whatever. Um, but you're getting that pedigree of Sundance people, South by people, producers, um, actors, meeting actors, maybe they want to like go off and do an indie or something. So I really just kind of like the stakes were low and I just did really low budget indies on my own. And through that now, five years later, it's just blossomed into two Netflix series. Um, I've had three movies at Sundance this year. Um, you know, it just, it just keeps moving forward. So I finally feel like I found what I'm supposed to do. Um, nobody tell me I'm not allowed to do it anymore. I'll be very sad. Um, but that is the longest answer to your question of how I got to where I'm at (laughs) sitting in this chair. right now. (laughs) That was great. It's a great answer. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. I'm curious, just hearing that story, it kind of sparked in, in me this question about like being open to learning. I think a lot of people can sometimes be like overwhelmed with like, I've never done this before, especially in the realm of filmmaking. Um, how did you stay open and, and willing to like keep learning at every step along the way? Cause there seemed to be a lot of that. It was hard. I mean, there's only one casting director that made me cry and I cried in the bathroom. So she never saw me. So I take pride in that. Um, but yeah, I mean, there, there have been days where I've just been, I've fucked up so badly that I've wanted to just go in a corner and crawl into that corner and be invisible to the world. But there's just something when you find a passion for something that you, it's not even just pride in it. It's just like, you want to succeed. You want, you want your plant to grow. Right. So you just, 
do whatever it takes to get there. And I think anyone that's successful has that drive in whatever they do. I, I just don't think, especially in the entertainment world, you can look at anything like, I'll just wait for it to come. You guys know as an actor or anything, it's like nobody, the world is not waiting to, to drop it in your lap, you know? And I think that's what the, the seven-year-old me dreamt of was like, oh, I'll just find this thing that's going to lead me to the land of Hollywood. And you know, many, 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 many years later, I've gotten there, but it has been because I was just like, fuck it. Okay. I'll try this, you know? And I think you have to have that open-mindedness. So you mentioned some of your, um, collaborators and they include Lynn Shelton, Megan Griffiths and the Duplass brothers. Can you tell us what it's like to work with these filmmakers and what you look for in fellow collaborators? Uh, so, my goal is like the Ellen Lewis, the Lorraine Mayfield of casting directors. Like I want to find my David Fincher. I want to find my Martin Scorsese. I would love for them to be more females than just those two males that I, that I mentioned, but, um, I want to find my group of people, producers, directors that just call me every time they have a project. So it is just, there's a shorthand there. There is, um, you know, uh, there's a, a taste level that's the same. The worst thing to do is like if, you know, you're talking to a producer or director on a, a project that they may be coming to you for and they're like, they want star meter numbers or Twitter numbers or inst- like, I don't cast like that. So it's finding the people that are in it for the creative reasons. Granted, most of my stuff, I'm always telling agents, no, literally that's how much they're getting paid. Um, no, there's nothing on the side. No, literally there's no publicity fee. There's, there's nothing hidden here, you know? So I, I'm in it for the art. And I know that sounds like very douchey, but it is true. Like, that's why I do it. I'm not doing it because I'm getting paid a million dollars. I've I've spent more going to a film festival than I've actually made on the film at times. But I want to find those people that are trying to tell stories, like the Moonlight stories, you know, like just like really telling people's Lynn Ramsey is like one of my goddesses. Like she's somebody I would like kill to work with. Not really kill, but you know what I mean? Um, I uh, like just people that are very passionate and really have a clear vision in their their craft. And the good thing about the people that I've that I get to collaborate with now is that there is that shorthand. There is that passion for what they want. Um, And there is that taste level of uh, I, I can suggest they may have somebody in mind, but I can suggest five others that are right up that alley. And they're like, oh, shit, now we know five more actors that we didn't know before. Or, you know, they, they trust me to like, well, if Amy likes them, then we should definitely take a look at them. So it's just building that trust maybe is like one of the best words for it. Um, and then, you know, loyalty. I'm a very loyal person. So I may work for free on someone's project because I, I, I believe they're going to get to a different place at a different time. And it's it it's really important to me when directors are loyal to me as in producers as well, because I hope they understand how much I'm giving in the faith that this is a collaboration we're going to have for the rest of our careers. Yesterday I had a meeting and literally the only thing I can say is like, Hey, I really want to work on this project, but just so you know, I don't want to just work on this project with you. I want to work on the next 15. So that's the way I always try to approach it. And luckily there's just been some people that still like me at the end of the day. (laughs) So that's, that's that. Um, but the all, like everyone I work with is totally different by the way, like Duplass, they're very improv heavy. Usually Mark will already have an outline of like who he wants to work with as far as the leads go, uh, whether it's Sarah Paulson or Ray Romano. And then it's just kind of building that world around it. Um, or, if they don't know who the lead is coming up with lists of ideas that would be good for it. Um, other directors, you know, uh, Jeremy Gerlich is somebody I work with and he's always just like, okay, who's the hottest, like 15 year old funny kid right now, you know? And it, so like there, there's, and then it's like educating him and getting materials on these actors and getting them to read and like showing, like physically showing him. Cause he, you know, isn't as educated as some other directors. That's not a bad thing. It's just, he relies on me a little heavier to be like, here's the top 10. Um, so there, everybody's different. And that's also what's kind of fun about it. Uh, because, it would be a very boring day if it was all cookie cutter. Um, but it's also managing personalities, you know, and knowing every director is different, but at the end of the day, the root of them is very similar. I think you have to be a crazy person 
to be a director because you have you you're literally like running a marathon but you're running 25 marathons at the same time with different department heads so the way they keep that all under control and hopefully in a, in a creative way is astounding to me so my job is always to make their life easier you know and if they are stuck on a roll, we can't find it. It's working until nine o'clock to come up with five new ideas that we hadn't thought of before. Um, and just making sure that like at the end of the day, they're not, they're not struggling with the minutia. They don't need to know this agent was a pain in the ass today because of blah, blah, blah. They just need to know, yep, they're available. Do you want to offer it to them? So it's keeping that connection as well so that they have less stress when it comes to casting because it's really hard it's like dating directors you know they spend years if they're if they wrote it or even if they've just been attached to it as a director they are so attached to these characters and a lot of times it's a personal story and so when they finally decide on an actor they want to go out to they have to fall in love with them like you would on a tinder date you know it's like you swipe right or swipe left and like when an actor passes it's an emotional thing for them. And I have to be there going, okay, cool. Nope. All good. Moving forward. We're going to find the right person. And we always do. That's what I always tell directors when they get in the trenches of like pass, pass, pass. It's like, it's all happening because the right actor is going to step into the role and it's going to be magical. Um, but it gets hard, you know, it gets, you, you start to feel that fatigue a little bit. And so I have to be a cheerleader. So as you mentioned, a lot of your casting work reflects this strong focus in independent film, and you kind of have this special knack, at least now, for picking projects that end up at Sundance, and you mentioned last year you had your three projects at Sundance, um, Paddleton, Big Time Adolescence, and Greener Grass, and we're curious, what did you see in those scripts that sparked your interest, and what do you look for when deciding to take on a project, um, especially an independent one, or like you mentioned, you know, somebody that you're working with this first-time director, or like what is it that you read or you see in somebody? Yeah, and at the beginning of my career, I said yes to a lot. Um, there are some doozers on that early <laughs> resume of IMDb of Amy Renee, um, and you know why I did those is because if I fucked up, the stakes are so low. So what I have learned now in that I've, you know, tr tried to build this brand and career is that the script has to be there. I have to feel passionate about the story, the characters, the like the, the basics, the basic root of it. Because if I don't, no matter what project I do, whether I get paid a hundred thousand dollars, which I've never made before, but hey, call me um, or one dollar on a movie, I do the same amount of work. So it, like I was just talking to another casting director yesterday. She's like, I don't know. I'm, she's in between shows right now. She's like, I just took this indie. It's no money. It's like da, 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 da. First time director. She's like, but I just loved the script. And that's the thing. So I have to, first of all, love that. Then there's the other elements that come into play. Maybe they had a short that played at South by. Maybe they, uh, the producer has a pedigree and they've, they've done things in the past that are like in line with what I'm into, or they've done a movie that I like. Um, that's the other thing because the way I have to approach any project is how am I going to sell this? I'm a salesman at the end of the day. How am I going to sell this to an agent or manager to get it to the talent to read it, to respond to it, to want to do it. Because most of the time, I don't have a lot of money to offer them. So I have to get very creative. And if I can see ways in which the project can spark interest, whether it's a dark character and maybe somebody that usually gets only offered comedy, like thinking of those names and how exciting that would be for an actor to get, that's what excites me. And when I'm like, okay, well, let me balance this out and see how that will work. Um, because sometimes I'll read a script and I'm like, oh man, I wanted to say no to this, but it's so good. And then I'm just dying for someone else to read it. So I'm like sending it to my agents and managers and like they had a million scripts and I'm just like, did you read it? Did you read it? Because I'm like, am I crazy? You know, because like sometimes it is, it's like this kid who just graduated Chapman or something and, you're, and I'm just like, am I crazy? This is really good, right? And so it's just, it's just really feeling passionate about that. And I also have to get along with the producers and the directors because at the end of the day, this is a dream job. 
working anyone that gets paid to work in entertainment in Hollywood and doing what they love in a creative capacity it's a dream job so I don't work with assholes and I say that not to be like uh, that I judge people it's more that it needs to be an easy process because it's super, super hard. It's hard to make anything. I don't like people come to me when they don't have funding or they don't have their project off the ground. I I can't tell you how things get made. I really don't. I don't know why some things get made over others. I don't know why other things get canceled, you know, and other shows go on for 20 some years. Um, so my point with that was, oh, I have to like the people. So usually it'll be a meeting, um, like a coffee or something. And I, I am very liberal with giving ideas. A lot of casting directors will really hold the kind of their idealist close to their chest at the beginning. But I'm kind of like, look, these are the people I like. These are the people I would put in this movie because at the end of the day, they can find those people on IMDb. It's just the way that I've organized them in a piece of paper. Um, and then if, if that, if all of that comes into play, then, you know, it's off to the races. I'm curious, like, yeah, it's, it's so much, I mean, casting is so creative. And then also in the independent sphere, it's like even more creative. It seems like, how do you keep track of all these actors that you'd want to work with or, or how do you like think of them in the moment for these projects? Yeah. And that's the weird thing that I was born with. (laughs) I'm not kidding. It's like when I was younger, I would like be like, okay, I love this director. And then that director, I, I would look at like, you know, I mean, it goes back to the days of nineties filmmaking. I would just like follow one actor from indie film to indie film. And then that would introduce me to another director. And I just had this ability to remember faces and names and talent and people would always laugh at me because they would be like how do you remember all these actors names or whatever or I'd be like oh this movie is going to be really good because it's this director and da 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 is in it it's going to be awesome yeah and then it would be and people were like how do you know this that I mean many years ago so it just so happens that that dumb skill set that I've never had any use for except for like on trivial pursuit when it comes to entertainment <laughs> questions that it's come in useful um so I watch everything I try to, I mean, it's sometimes it can get really daunting, um, but I really try to watch at least one episode of everything so that I understand the tone of it. Um, And I am always like, if I'm watching television, IMDb is open. So I'm watching it. Okay, that person's great. And I'm just making lists and lists and lists. I'll email myself. I'll say, take a screenshot of their IMDb and put like, put on this list. So it's just a constant... um, devouring of of new content and who who's popping in what because I do have to look for those people that may do a guest spot on a Netflix show as a lead in one of my indies because they will say yes <laughs> and they will embrace the opportunity and actually want to be there as opposed to going somebody who's number 10 on on IMDb star meter who's like they don't really want to do it. They've already done a first-time director's feature. You know what I mean? So it's really looking outside the box for that. And also I go to UCB. I go to Groundlings. I'm always paying attention to that. I'm always watching comedy specials. Just any little thing I can do to be like, oh, they're interesting. And then write them their name down. Um, so that when I do get a specific project, I can pull up that list of like, okay, the lead guy is in his twenties. I'll pull up my lead, lead 20 guys list and just go through the, all the names of that and make my list. Um, these are all secrets. Cinema secrets, guys. It's always sounds like it's fun, but it's like one of those things where you go to Target and you're like, oh man, I want to buy everything in here. And then you finally have money and you go and you're like, I don't like anything in here. So it's like one of those things where it's like you think that and then when you're forced to have to figure it out, you're like, I don't know anybody. I don't know who this is going to be. Who's it going to be? So it can, there is a little bit of pressure to it. But when you're like, oh, fuck, man, there's five people that are so rad that could be this part. And it's exciting to me to be able to show. And they're like, I don't know any of these people. That's my favorite thing when a director is like, I don't know any of these people. I'm like, let me show you. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's it's really just it's that it's tracking that for the most part, which unless you have a passion for it. it I've had assistants that don't and they don't watch anything. And I'm like. I don't think this is going to be the right thing for you because especially if you're in a demographic different than myself, I need you to watch those shows um, because I'm not watching them. And I need you to be able to tell me who's popping and who who would be great from that, you know, and who is the second or third uh, lead in the show that we should be focusing on. 
You said before that you're often the third person to read the script. First the writer-director, then the producer, then you. What's it like being involved at the beginning stage of a film? And how do you go about creating these characters and contributing to the script development? So it kind of tags on to what I was saying about like just basically loving the script. Um, and depending on what stage the project is in, because you can have one project that's already funded, has start dates, they're going for sure, they're greenlit, they're, now I just have to find the right people. And then you have those other projects that are like, well, we just need to get a lead, or a lead attached and then we'll get the rest of the financing, which I hate taking those. But sometimes the script is so good and it's like such a great opportunity for me to connect an actor to a project that I take it on. So depending on on what varying degree of that, it's it kind of goes off into different sex because a lot of times it could just be me and the director for months just throwing out names, checking avails, sending them the script, not hearing anything for, you know, four weeks and then moving on to the next. It could be that. Or it could be, okay, we shoot in five weeks. So like, boom, 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 boom. Here we go. Sessions straight away, gets a self-tape batch out straight away, all of that right away. Um, But being so early in the process, I'm also the one that's like, I don't really like this part right here or like, cause I'm thinking of it the way an actor would and, and not to get graphic or anything, but there's a project that I did a few years ago and there was this masturbation scene in it and it was a male writer and male director. And I was like, I just, I don't see why she would have this scene. And I'm not saying that that's why he, it was written was cause it was a dude. Like I'm, I'm not here to say any of that. I'm just saying like I had a, I had a real reaction to it that I feel like an actor would have too. So I can say it not because because I have a personal thing about it, but I can say like, I just don't think an actor would connect to this and it may turn them off and they take my advice or they don't, but that's a very, you know, extreme example of it. But there are times when I'm like, this just doesn't make sense. Or like, I wish I saw more of this character. And again, I'm not a writer, a screenwriter at all. I've never written anything (laughs) except my thesis in college, which was not a screenplay. Um, so they take it or they leave it, but it is a little validating sometimes when we get further down the process and an actor's like, oh, you know, what? I really don't like this thing. And it's like the thing I said. And I'm like, I told you. <laughs> um, but for the most part, it's yeah, it's a it, there is that initial collaboration where it's like, OK, these are the kinds of people I see in it. And if my style isn't what they're looking for, it comes across pretty quickly of what they're looking for. What excites you about auditions and working with actors? I think the biggest thing is just that there's no explanation of that magic of like just somebody coming in or somebody sending a tape in and you're like, that's it. Literally, it's there's no like scale or like degree I could get in judging people (laughs) for their acting abilities. But it's just a, such a magical thing when you see somebody and you're just like, that's the right person and they get it and they book it and they, cause you know, I'm not, the, I'm not the say all. Sometimes the director isn't even the say all. Sometimes it's a network or studio that's the say all. So to see somebody really embody that character that was written is just such a magical thing. Um, and then to see those people, sometimes you'll give them their first or second job and then to see them book another series after that and go off and do other things. It's very validating to be like, Oh, there was something I saw there and I was right. So you have your own casting company in Los Angeles. What was most surprising about starting your own business? My favorite thing is always when I meet somebody and they may be somebody I've known for a long, long time. And they're like, so what are you doing now? I'm like, oh, yeah, no, I'm casting, whatever. And they're like, oh, whose office do you work for? I'm like, Amy Renee Casting. (laughs) And I don't know if that's a bad thing because that means they don't know I exist. But I take it as like a compliment because I didn't really come up through the same ways a lot of people do, which is be an associate for a really long time at a big office. And that's fucking rad. Like people get to work on really big projects. I just didn't take that path. Um, so, you know, at the very beginning of my career, I told you about some of the, the real shit piles that I've done, just getting people to return your call. You know what I mean? And like, like getting people to understand your taste level and your brand, like, yes, look, I'm telling you, like, it's a, no money movie and it's a first time director, but I'm telling you there's something there and people that start trusting that over time is is awesome but it's taken that you know 
to build that est- and I'm not there's there's like I'm not saying in any way shape or form that I know everybody in town and they know my name it's still a very teeny 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 tiny percentage um so I'm still building that credibility but um that was the biggest thing is I don't have anyone under me so at the end of the day, if I mess up, I'm not just the assistant or associate on somebody's desk. I am the boss. And also, you know, having employees was a big change for me because I got pretty busy pretty quickly. So I had like three people that had interned for me that now are all of a sudden working for me. And I'm like, yeah, okay, cool. I, you go take a lunch break. I don't know. Like, you know, because I work all the time. I, I wake up, I go to my computer and I don't stop you know, a lot of my job will be putting out emails, putting out calls, and then I won't get answers for three hours. So when I was an associate and assistant, that would kill me because I would just be stuck chained to a desk waiting for the phone to ring. And it just was soul sucking for me. So the way I run my life is that I'll go hiking at, I'm here on a, you know, Tuesday afternoon talking to you guys. I, I live my life while I work. So sometimes that can be a double edged sword because there'll be a Saturday where I'm trying to negotiate something or, you know, I have to make sure a meeting is happening or whatever. But then again, there's times when I'm at happy hour with my friends. So I run a different office space like that. And I think having, when you have other people, it's like, I don't want them to feel like they're always working on my time, but I do kind of need them to work on my time. So I always will tell people, I'm like, look, I may email you at 8.30. Do not feel like you have to answer it. It's just, that's when my juices are flowing and that's when I'm like creative. So that was an adjustment too, is just like figuring out how to basically relinquish total control. My husband used to always be like, you have to stop doing everything yourself. And once I was able to actually start doing that, wow, it was awesome because it freed me up creatively to do so much more when I just trusted other people to do deal memos or do some of the paperwork, check avails, make those master lists, whatever. It just was so freeing, but it's really hard to let go when you're like, if any of this messes up, my name's on the door. One of my friends told me that one time. I was working on a pilot and I was working for a different casting director. Something happened with like one of the network executives or whatever. And they were really bitchy to me on the phone. And I was so nervous. And I was like, oh, I fucked up. Oh, I don't know. And like I told her and she goes, what's it like to have your name on the door? And I've just always remembered that because that's the accountability that you have when it's your name on the door. We're curious about the differences in casting film and television in addition to the financial difference. Um, We're wondering, does casting TV, you know, more pay your bills? And how does it work financially after an independent film sells and gets distribution? Like for you, you know, if you work on this indie for free, like what happens? How do you? Yeah, I mean, some things you learn over time and actors have this too. You know, you, you figure out ways to get creative with the deal and so sometimes that's points on the back end and like it's definitely oh there's always conversations to be had when it comes to that working with indies because you know I don't think anyone wants to feel taken advantage of so hopefully you're working with the right people that are going to make you feel comfortable that if in a one in a million shot this becomes that movie that makes a hundred million at the box office you aren't left out of that so there is a little bit of that but Nine times out of 10, if a movie goes to Sundance and sells, like it's not really trickling down to me at that point. Um, So it's not as big of a conversation, but that's the way I would get creative with that. And then as far as like working on television, um, especially like the Netflix shows that I've done, it's great because I get paid weekly and I'm, you know, allotted an assistant. And so there's like a lot of costs that's covered. My, my space is covered, you know, things, these are the things that you're, you're making sure that you have in your contract as well. So that it does give you that little bit of cushion. Whereas on an indie, it's just a flat fee and it could go on for eight months. It could go on for eight weeks. And if I want an assistant, that comes out of my pay. If I want to have a session, sometimes that comes out of my pay. So it's just kind of learning by default what it is that you need to ask for. Um, and making sure that, you know, you don't feel taken advantage of. Because nobody, nobody wants to work when they feel taken advantage of. And nobody wants to work with somebody who feels taken advantage of. Because it just becomes this ugly, passive-aggressive thing. So you do have to make sure that you're taking 
taking time to, to know what the expectations are that they're going to want and then figuring out a creative way to make everybody happy. What is your advice for newer directors and filmmakers who are looking to bring on a casting director for their project? The biggest thing is understand what we do, because that's really hard. Um, when people are like, well, I've never worked with a casting director. I don't really understand what you do is like, okay, well educate yourself, watch casting by everyone should, everyone in filmmaking should watch casting by it's like the Bible of casting directors. If you haven't seen it, please do yourself a favor. Um, the other thing is don't reach out to me and say, um, I have this script, yada, yada, all this information. I want to, you know, I want you to help me with this. And then never once mention that you have a rate to pay. Um, I've, I've literally gone, like had a full phone call with people on projects and they're like, Oh no, we don't have a casting budget. So now like, I hate it too, because I don't ever want first time the people I work with to think that that's what I care about. But like, it's a question I have to ask because I've gone down the road of putting effort in a project of like reading the script, which is takes time out of your day. Coming up with the ideas takes time out of your day. Emailing and, and calling people, scheduling that takes time out of your day. So I'm already in the hole as far as like time salary. Um, and then if you haven't even considered the fact that I might want to be paid for my services, you don't go to the dentist and like you're like, can you pull this tooth for me? Oh, by the way, I can't pay you or I'll pay you in six months or whatever. You just wouldn't do it. So I would love it if filmmakers could understand that what we do isn't free, even though there's no, um, at the end of the day, we're monetizing putting humans into speaking roles in film and television. There is still a time that that takes, there's an expertise that that takes, there's connections that that takes. And so while I can't send you an invoice that says I did 15 calls for you, just understanding that that is should be something to consider in your casting budget um, is, or in your overall budget is really, really lovely <laughs> and appreciated. And if someone outside, outside the industry was like, oh yeah, what does casting do? How do you explain it to people? I would say I, any, when, whenever you're watching something, anyone that says something out of their mouth speaking on camera, I am the one finding the, the human to actually do that. So, um, I mean, that could be a whole other podcast of like, what does a casting director do? But, uh, uh, you know, a lot of it is just making sure that you, at the end of the day, when it says call time, there is a human that is prepared and can say the words in the order that they were written on the script is like the best way I can explain it. Cause I mean, the, my, my lowest time of having an actor show up was six hours before their call time, which was like a total heart attack. But we just like people kept getting sick or whatever. So it was like six hours. I need you here. And they showed up and they did a great job and it was fine. But you can't really have a scene acted out unless you have actors in place. And I'm the one that finds those people. <laughs> Um, you mentioned when you walked in that you're working on seven projects right now and they're all I mean, anyone different. listening that I'm working with, I'm only working on your project right now. <laughs> um, no, it, it, the projects are always in always different stages of development. I mean, I think you know what I'm going to ask. Um, just if you could talk about the stages that they're in and also kind of the range that you work on. I feel like you just work on across genres and not all casting directors do that. And what that's like, I know it comes from, you know, the script and the story, but just, I always find that interesting. Like early on, I had one producer be like, Oh, well you don't really do comedies. You do dramas. I'm like, what? Like it was such a foreign thing for me. It's like saying to an actor, well, you only do comedy. Like, as an actor, you're well-rounded, right? I mean, there are definitely comedic actors that do sketch or, um, you know, would inevitably want to be on a platform like Saturday Night Live or something. But for me, it's just all, always about the story and about the people that are trying to tell the story. So um, some projects, again, it's right now, it's there's some that are, it's just me coming up with lists of ideas that we'll just offer out to. And then there's other projects where we're actively seeing auditions and trying to find the best person for the role that has a start date. So they're, they're all in different various forms. And then within that, there's the eco 
cosms of each director is very different. So some directors like to text. I mean, just like to break it down super simple, you know? Yeah. Some directors like to text ideas and they'll text you at any time. And then other directors will email you these long emails and other emails will email you like one word every, you know, one email per like thought. And then you have directors that like to call you on the phone and talk it through. And so just kind of figuring that out too is really important. Um, because sometimes I'm in session and when I'm in session, my phone's off. So making sure that those people feel that they're being taken care of, you know, um, I don't want this to sound like I'm, I stretch myself too thin, but there, you know, there is a level of, you are kind of like, you got your hands on a couple projects at the same time. Um, and I've found that especially with people who want to do festival films and submit summertime is very busy, um, for indie films because they either have kids as a star. So kids are out of school in the summer. Um, or it's just cheaper for whatever reason to do it in the summer because of the location that they're using or whatever. So summer tends to be very busy for me. Um, pilot network people have that pilot season. I have summer pilot summer indie pilot season, um, which I should figure out a way to coin that, um, because it, it does become kind of busy at this time of year for me. Um, and then, you know, it's just managing all those expectations. Whereas some directors, it's like, you'll hear from them once a week and other directors, you'll hear from them once morning, noon and night, you know? So just knowing, knowing what, knowing to figure out, figuring out what everyone needs is really key to be able to make all that happen. Yeah, and kind of piggybacking on that, like, just hearing you talk about the casting process, it sounds like the casting director really needs to, like, translate a lot, translate what the director's vision is, and then also, you know, take that in for yourself, and then how to communicate that to the actor. 100%. Um, this doesn't exactly parallel that, but I have one director that I work with a lot, and he just needs you to explain it to him. And it was really hard for me to learn how to communicate with him. Um, because when I would pitch somebody and if he was against it, he's like, no, I'm not against it. Just tell me why. And so learning like, oh, okay. So here's their real here. But then not even that, like I have to have my own opinion. I have to say why I think this person's going to pop. And so knowing how to, uh, vocally translate that to my director is something. And then also, you know, when it comes to actors auditioning for different projects, I always try to make sure they have everything they need. Um, and I say this all the time, like if I'm sending out a breakdown, sadly, it doesn't always get translated to you guys when you're auditioning, but I always try to, you know, the director's name is there. Any, any past things the director has done, the producer's name is there. Um, just basically anything like the, the, the role, here's the context of what this scene is. If I can't give a script out, just making sure you guys have all the tools so that you can give us what we need, um, is really, really important to me. Um, and it's super frustrating for me when actors don't do their research because they should, you know, I've done TV shows where they walk in, they're like, what's the tone of this? And it's just, A, it's like, don't waste my time. And B, it's kind of disrespectful because when I go into a meeting, you better believe I've Googled everything about that person I'm meeting with. I know what they look like because I've Google imaged them. I know what they've worked on because I've looked on IMDb. I've done a regular Google to see if they have a website and I've looked at everything. I take the time. Um, and I think that's what actors sometimes forget that that's part of their homework is that they need to be just as educated as we are with their work to bring them in. Um, and that gets lost a little bit in translation sometimes. I guess the, the other thing is just how you take the director's vision into then communicating that, like, if you're seeing a scene, you're like, you know, I know this person could be right, but they're just not getting it somehow. Like, how do you kind of communicate that? You know, and them? that's something I had to learn because I'm not an actor. And there is a jargon that actors have where you're directing somebody, you know, raising the stakes or, um, like all of these cliche things that you say, but it does for me, to, I had to learn them from scratch. So for me to be able to kind of talk that shortcut a little bit with actors is definitely something. So like, you know, sometimes it may be as simple as you cannot go big enough because sometimes I just want, I, I, sometimes the things I do are very absurd and I don't want them to get caught up in what that is. Just like think about it in the most simplest of structures, you know? And then other times, a lot of what I do is just talk to me like you're talking to me right now. And, uh, you know, people want to 
put so much into it. And it's like, no, literally just talk to me the way you're talking to me right now. That's all you need to do. Um, so just kind of giving them those hints because I'm never going to let an actor walk out the door that is right. That didn't get it on camera because I would be dumb. Um, my, I look like a rock star when I bring in 20 actors and 21 and a half of them are fucking awesome and right for the part. Right. So actors also need to understand that I love you and I'm rooting for you. I wouldn't have brought you in because I could fit in five other people, you know? And so when you come in, I am going to take the time if it's needed to make sure I get you there. Sometimes people come in, they do a great read, but it's just not it. It's just not that. It's not that I don't want to spend the time with you to get you there. It's just, it should be an easy fit. Um, and the same thing goes for when people send in self tapes, we watch every tape, you know, we're, we're constantly looking for those gems because if we find them, we look great. (laughs) It's totally selfish, but it, that's, that's part of the, the passion that I have for it is that I can, you know, put the same five people that are on in every movie or every TV show and just put them on a list and be like, here, you can offer them out. This is how much money you need in order to get them. But that's not what excites me. What excites me is just having this, you you know, person that maybe it's their first or second even audition and they come in and I'm like, holy shit, do you know what you just did? And like, that's exciting, right? So it's, it's, I want actors to make sure they understand that we're rooting for them because I think so many times they think that they walk into a room and everyone is just like staring at them like yep next and that's just not that's not how I want to work I want everyone to feel creatively fulfilled so explaining to them what the director is like a lot of times I get lucky and the director can be in the room with me then I don't have to do anything then it's like let them do it which is also an interesting exercise to see what directors know how to talk to actors um because that has been very learning curve wise. Um, and I have, I have to admit, I feel like I'm like at a, um, a meeting or something. I have done commercials before. It's like such a sad thing to admit, but, um, no, I'm not making fun of commercials. Cut all this out. Um, I'm just saying like with commercials, the director doesn't want to be bothered. They don't care about you. It's just cattle herding. It's just like, and no offense to commercial directors, but it's just not a creative process. It's just quantity over quality. So that was a weird learning thing. And then to have a director sometimes that wants to, in the audition, shoot the whole goddamn scene. And I'm like, dude, no, we just need to see if they're in the ballpark. I promise you, you're going to get to shoot your movie, you know? And so like kind of wrangling those people and being like, dude, we have we have 10 minutes per person. I need you to stay on sketch. Because that's the other thing I hate is when, you know, I look out, I never want to look out into my waiting room and see more than two or three people waiting ever, 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 ever. It gives me anxiety. I can't handle it. It doesn't make you guys a better actor. It makes you get in your head. Um, so I need my director to kind of stay on schedule. But at the, but at what I always say, which is so passive guys is, well, I need you to get what you need, get what you need. <laughs> But at the same time, no more than nine minutes. Um, so just figuring out what their style is, is something that I have to, if I've never worked with you before, it's a conversation I have to have. Um, because if somebody wants 20 minutes per person, then we're only going to see 10 people in a day and that's fine. But that expectation just needs to be there so that every, at the end of the day, everybody gets what they want, including the actor felt like they got to give their strongest performance and they're not rushed. Um, cause there's nothing worse than feeling like you just drove from, you know, Silver Lake to Van Nuys and it's like, oh, that was 30 seconds. Great. You know, and that was terrible. Like nobody wants to, wants you to feel that way either. So it's super important to me. Is there anything else that you wish people knew about the casting process? Um, well, I, I wish they knew that we don't get nominated for an Academy Award or any <sighs> other big awards. Um, you know, we have our own Casting Society Award, which is the Ardios Award, which is super prestigious and um, amazing that we have that. But we are left out of that process and that cele- celebration. And um, I think every department is integral. But I, at the end of the day, you know, I really don't think that you can have actors in front of the camera on every job unless there's somebody there helping to guide it. I know some directors just like to like 
call their friends and put their friends in movies. That's great, but not every director has that skill set or Rolodex. Mm-hmm. Um, so just having some recognition of, of how hard we work um, would be great. Um, so that, you know, I would, I would love it if when an actor wins an award, they thank their casting director because it's like this, this amazing top heavy process for me where I'm working months and months, sometimes years on a project before it's day one of principal photography from there on out, I'm done. My job is done. So they go through the shoot, they go through the edit and then they go through color correct and sound and all of that. to when they get a locked picture, I've like, that could be two years from when I worked with them. So I've literally gone to like a film festival and like, I'm standing in the same line as the editor. The director comes out to get the editor to take them into a party. And I'm like, hi, literally. And it's like, again, I'm not here to like, you know, have praise and all that stuff, but it's just like, we get forgotten a lot because we're so top heavy. Um, And it would just be nice if like people realize that it's not, there's no magic wand that got you that job. There is usually somebody that's fighting like, their fucking ass off to get the director to believe in you because you aren't Meryl Streep. Um, and I wish sometimes that that was a little more understood and it's the same things for agents and managers. You know, I mean, a lot of the times the ideas I come up up with are because an agent or manager is like, Hey, take this general with this. And I've never had a general that I didn't love. Whenever I do generals, it's like, I trust the people that are sending them to me. And it is, it usually is like, I'm like, oh my God, I love you. Let's hang out. Let's be friends. Um, And so it's understanding that there is a process that happens to get you to where you're at. Yes, it's you and your talent at the end of the day, but there are other people that are really fighting for you. And I just wish that was a little more um, understood and celebrated. Um, Great. Well, we end every interview with our rapid response segment, three, two, one action. Okay. So you can answer with like a word or phrase. Uh, so we start with three, your favorite or most influential film. You know what? I love John Hughes and I love like that time period. I just watched pretty in pink again. And recently from start to finish, I hadn't watched the whole thing in a long time. And just that element of like that, of that time period and like all of that. I mean, Heather's is a very influential film for me. I love satire. I love the, um, the way that they used color in that film, the way that they, it was this world, Tim Burton's worlds that he creates that sort of exist in reality, but they're maybe like one or two steps off. Um, th- that's really what I respond to. So it's more of a like overall blanket statement. I like op- offbeat stuff, I guess, mostly. Two, dream person you want to work with i've already said one lynn ramsey hey if you're listening um but i'm sure she has an amazing cast director that she already works with um but i want to work with the net like i said i want to work with the next xyz um because i really feel like that a, a collaboration over a career span is way more important than just one movie at a time um and i like I like directors that are interested in, in push me to not just be like, oh, well, they're right for it. They're great. Like my favorite directors are a pain in the ass, but they've been like, mm, there's just something not there. And every time at the end of that, I'm so proud of that cast because we didn't settle for anyone. And it may have been really, really hard. So just, you know, continuing to find those, those types of, of collaborators to work with would be great. One, best advice you've ever received? Um, fake it till you make it. I've said a lot of it tonight. What's it like to have your name on the door? Oh, and say yes to everything. Have a yes year. I think it's super important for people to understand that because there's a director I know now because I was at a birthday party for some, for he was, the director was there for, because his girlfriend knew the guy that I knew at the birthday party. And now 15 years later, we work together. So saying yes to everything is really, really important because, and especially for actors, and I'll give one example of that, is on Captain Fantastic, there was the mom role, which in the script was just written as like flashbacks. The actress that booked it, um, instead of just seeing that as an extra role and showing up and sitting in her trailer for eight hours and being like, fuck this shit. Like, I can't believe I'm sitting around for an actress. She sat there that whole day and wrote a backstory on her character and got in this headspace that 
gave life to this woman who in the process of the script was going to be on like a half a page, you know? And so she did her scene. It was with Vigo and Matt Ross was the director and they did this whole scene and everyone was bawling. Everyone was crying. So they wrote her into more things and just, if she hadn't have said yes, A, to doing an extra part, B, saying yes to the challenge of like sitting on inner trailer for eight hours and then having the balls to like act against Viggo Mortensen in what would have been an extra part and really moving them, like that's all saying yes to me. And I, I, I think that the best things in your life can come from those. And it's one thing that I hate about, um, I don't want to say agents and managers, but I'll just say sometimes the the pushers of things that don't see don't see the value outside of monetary um and they don't see that like the ad on this stupid little indie five years from now could be the biggest producer working and that is really important to me in seeing that and I learned a lot of that when I was an assistant because I remember who was not nice to me I remember who would call and be a dick or whatever and I just think there's no place for it and so just remembering that you never know who anyone is so be nice to everybody and just say yes um, because you never know where it could lead you to action what are you most looking forward to right now I am looking forward to being really busy and um, a couple of shows I am just excited for the world to know exist. Um, I have one show, not to plug, but um, my husband is hard of hearing. He's, he's deaf, he wears hearing aids, and I got the pleasure of being able to work on a show on Sundance Now, season two, called This Close. Um, the leads and the creators are deaf. And it's really just a day in the life of these two actors living their lives being deaf. And it's such a interesting uh, microcosm of the world that I don't think people realize, like what it's like to live with somebody who doesn't hear um, and to to have that be in my personal life. And then to get to work on the show was like literally my therapist was like, you do see this is crazy, right? <laughs> Um, and that second season comes out um, this fall and it's going to be on Sundance now and Sundance TV it's called This Close Cool. so look out for that awesome Awesome. and lastly where can people follow you on social media on the social I'm on Instagram Amy Renee Casting that's the one like that if you want to see what's up with me I don't put any of my casting stuff on my personal one so if you want to see pictures of my dogs and my horse then you go to Amy Renee if you want to see like me politely bragging about a film that's at a film festival or an actor that I really think is rad then you go to Amy Renee Casting so that's the main place for me yeah awesome Well, thanks so much, Amy Renee. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate you so much. You can find us at afemalelens.com and at afemalelens on Instagram and Twitter. You can email us at afemalelens at gmail.com. And you can download the show anywhere you listen to podcasts and on Apple Podcasts, where we'd love it if you left us a review. Our theme song was composed by Jesse Nelson. Our logos are by Megan Cafferty. This podcast is produced by Jennifer Zollett and Larkin Bell.